All Things Unexplained, hosted by Dr. Mounts. Let's face it, we were always ready to roll without him anyway. <laughs> CJ Derringer. Ain't nobody perfect, right? And Smitty Neves. I've never planned out hardly anything my whole life. I just free ball. Featuring Cajun Man. I'm just old nobody, somebody looking for somebody. Previously on All Things Unexplained. I should say that during the pandemic, the, I had very interesting visitors. I had um, dozens of uh, highly, you know, um, very distinguished uh, people that came, some of which are multi-billionaires. Um, and they were all uh, hosted in my porch and um, because it was during the pandemic. Um, one thing that Tim and I discussed is you seem very um, connected to, or at the very least thought out by people who have these positions of power that are looking into UAPs. Um, you recently were in DC with um, uh, with the pilot, I believe, and, and astronaut Scott Kelly, and, and clearly they all believe that you know something, or at least have the intelligence to get them closer to what they want to know. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your meeting in, in DC that you had recently? And so I, I went to DC to present in the first meeting of this study that NASA established, because actually a year earlier, uh, I wrote to NASA and suggested such a study. Uh, as soon as I heard Bill Nelson, after the report was delivered to Congress, that uh, back in June uh, 2021, that he said that scientists should get engaged and help the government. And I, I said, I'm happy to make you happy, basically, the, to Bill. Um, and then um, I attended the forum in, uh, in in the Washington National Cathedral where Bill Nelson was and Avril Haines. Uh, the, uh, she was sitting next to me, the director of national intelligence and, and Jeff Bezos. And at some point, Jeff Bezos was talking about uh, going to, um, you know, bringing people to space with uh, a blue origin and saying that uh, he was inspired to establish this space company uh, as a result of watching Star Trek as a kid. And I, I whispered uh, uh, to Avril and I said, that, you know, I was never impressed by Star Trek because the storyline violates the laws of physics, so I cannot really enjoy that. And and she said, uh, "We have to work on you, Abby." <laughs> uh, and so that was. Um, uh, so basically, what I told the NASA study is, um, you know, what we are planning to do with uh, the Galileo project, which is to collect data and make it open and report about it in scientific publications. And I described the instruments that will be using and this study is uh, supposed to report back um, in June 2023 to NASA headquarters and basically advise NASA whether uh, how much money and to invest in in this line of research and and what to do with it yeah you know that's one of the perplexing things that we've found about the NASA study is their disclosure that we're spending $100,000 on this. And that, that just seemed like a very minuscule drop in the bucket. Like what, what are they possibly hoping to accomplish with just $100,000 or are we missing something there? 
Yeah, I mean, the study was just um, of a, com uh, you know, it's a committee that is supposed to recommend. It's not a committee that is doing any research. And they will be uh, studying only the unclassified information, which, as I said, is much less impressive probably than the, um, than the classified portion. And I say that without seeing it. I say that because uh, high-level officials who saw the classified data said that it's quite intriguing. Uh, in fact, Bill Nelson said that the hair in the back of his neck stood up when he saw it. I don't know what that means. I've never, you know, to figure out what it means, I need to see when does the hair on the back of uh, uh, Bill Nelson stands up uh, by showing him different videos. So I, I don't know what to make of it. But there were others, um, you know, there were presidents and uh, other high-level officials that talked about it and it sounds to me like that there is very intriguing data but the government is not a scientific organization so we cannot ask them to do the scientific research for us we cannot ask them to declassify data because it will reveal the nature of the classified sensors that the government is using and that will compromise national security interests right so i just want to get the data with unclassified sensors, which make a lot of sense. And because the sky is not classified, you know, the sky is something astronomers are studying all the time. So I do wonder, okay, you don't have any social media, but you have two daughters, correct? Yes. And they are they in their teens? Is that accurate? Yeah, one is 17, the other is 21. And I, I was basically surrounded by women throughout my life. Yeah. I, I was blessed. I had a strong connection to my mother. I married my wife. We have two daughters. I had two sisters. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, do your daughters have social media? Yes. And have they, what is, what is their thought on you? I mean, I know growing up as a teenage girl, right? We're all at some point slightly embarrassed by our father. What did they think when suddenly you became this this media <laughs> i mean everybody was talking about you in terms of a muamua and now all of these women are saying that you're sexy i mean how are these girls handling all of this well um i still do the dishes at home not much has changed but uh, uh just um, a week ago a week ago i get a, a text message from my daughter who who is in college and she says wow, you appeared on the H3 podcast with Ethan Klein. I cannot believe it because all my friends are talking about it. And the thing is, I went um, to LA. I didn't know much about this podcast. And I just, just because I was in the area, I agreed to be on it. So then I meet Ethan Klein and I, uh, he says, do you know who I am? And I said, no, I've never, you know, I didn't hear about you until now. And uh, he says, well, ask your daughters. And be before I had a chance to ask them, this podcast appeared and then she, she texts me and says, I cannot believe that you were. So, um, yeah, but to me, this is just a way of communicating to the public, changing yeah. the conversation in the direction that I think is correct um, and getting funding for the, the, the initiative that, that I find important. And uh, so, it, you know, I, I try to I tell my um, uh, my colleagues at the Galileo Project, I say, keep your eyes on the ball. You know, that's what the basketball uh, coaches say to the players that it's very easy to be distracted by looking at the audience uh, and I try to minimize the attention that they give uh, you know to such things because we have to keep our eyes on the ball yeah. and make sure that it gets to the basket in, in the sense of the Galileo project finding uh, getting the data analyzing it and releasing it to the public so that we advance knowledge on this subject 
you know, that's the mold that needs to be broken because in the past there was the scientific community ridiculing it with the stigma. And then there were the crazies on the other side saying we were, you know, we had those amazing uh, religious experiences. And I say, you know, they were fueling each other. There was never uh, a clear scientific evidence that everyone would accept. And so let's just break that mold, this dynamic that makes no sense. And the government saying we have classified data that looks really intriguing. I, I want to see the data. I want to figure it out. You know, like, why should we believe all, this, all these stories? It's not, you know, this is about reality. So we should be able to, to see it. And um, that's what we aim to do. So that's really the ball that we need to get into the basket. Uh, and I, I, I plan to focus on that. I don't care about anything else. We're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Loeb. I think what is responsible for a great deal of the current public fascination, and I compare it to, I used to love the show Law and Order, you know, like every time there's a crime, let's say a murder, the police would have various witnesses, and sometimes they would be very undependable witnesses, you know, like someone homeless, on drugs. They, they have, a lot of the things they say you just can't count on, right? But sometimes the witness would be a doctor or a lawyer, right? And so that there would be a, a completely different approach to how the, the police looked at that information. Well, we know that UFO encounters have had a stigma attached to them over the decades, right? For a long time, for various reasons, wacky things like you mentioned, like alien abductions, which may not be wacky, by the way, but, but they have a stigma, right? But I think part of what's responsible for the current public fascination, I know it is for me, is that we went from these undependable witnesses or, or just, you know, the general public to a whole other level here with military videos that the Pentagon has said, yes, these are real videos. Yeah, they, they were leaked, which, by the way, the fact they were leaked increases the public concern over them like uh, uh, this is a cover-up to military encounters. And the Pentagon themselves are talking about transmedium abilities going from water to air to space. We have our own mili trained military servicemen and women talking about seeing things that defy the laws of physics. What are we, the general public, without access to classified information, who have been trained to be skeptical, to, to believe in conspiracy theories, what are we to make of these really dependable people telling us these things? Right. So one thing to keep in mind is, you know, physicists, people in the, in the physics community work really hard to find new physics. And for decades, we haven't found really new physics. I mean, there was the Higgs boson that was discovered by the Large Hadron Collider. The God particle. Uh, but that was, that, that was old news from the 60s. Everyone expected it. So the point is, it, uh, new physics is really hard to come by. So if you just have crappy data and you don't understand how it's possible, that doesn't mean that there is new physics. It just means that you have crappy data. Okay? <laughs> That's something to keep in mind because it's very easy to say, oh, my data is crappy enough to allow new physics. Well, that's not the way it works. In order to claim new physics, you need very good data so that people will believe the fact that you have new physics. It's the other way around. So if you report about dark objects over Ukraine and you don't measure distances well, you can't argue that there is new physics that avoids fireballs because you have to demonstrate that your distances are correct. By the way, they had in Ukraine, they had one case 
of a bright object that they measured from two sites so they could detect the distance. And it was a thousand kilometers elevated, okay? And I just said, okay, well, let me Google. I don't know much about spy satellites. I, I've never worked on that. So I, go, I put in Google spy satellite. And what do I find? A thousand kilometers. So I say, oh. you know, these people say, this is an unidentified object for which we measure the distance. That's the distance. And they don't even check whether a satellite can be, uh, can explain it. Uh, and, you know, so here is an example where they actually measure the distance. We have a simple explanation for it. And you wouldn't be surprised if there is a satellite looking over Ukraine, right? That would not be a surprising event. So reporting about it in a paper without even checking the possibility or ruling out the possibility of a satellite before claiming that it's an unidentified object, to me, is sloppy. That makes little sense. And when you claim new physics, you have to have robust data that nobody can dispute, taken by instruments that you fully understand. You can't just say, you know, this crappy data allows for new physics and therefore new physics may exist. Like, and people talk about wormholes. They talk about, I don't know, all kinds of gravitational uh, distortions of space and time in some ways. First of all, distorting space and time, you know, that requires a huge amount of mass. If, if you just need to study physics to understand that, okay? So um, when we observe gravitational waves, uh, it's a result of massive objects, you know, this, at least the mass of a few times the mass of the sun, you know, and if such a massive object were to pass near Earth, it would move the entire Earth. It's not the gravitation, you know, it's not the distortion of space and time that we would notice through telescopes, it's actually, it will pull the earth and create a huge uh, tide in the ocean. So you cannot on the one hand say, oh, it distorts space and time and not worry about what it would do to the oceans. That makes no sense. Or you cannot claim an object is dark, it blocks light, but it doesn't block electrons. Like both of them are electromagnetically interacting with the object. So you have to explain those things. You can't claim it's a wormhole without even knowing what a wormhole is, because I know what a wormhole is, and there is no stable solution for a wormhole as a solution of Einstein's equations of gravity that allows the wormhole to exist for more than the time it takes light to cross it, okay? Uh, and so how can you claim that something is a wormhole when we know that wormholes do not even exist? Like they are not valid solutions of Einstein's equations. You have to add quantum mechanics. And even then, you don't get, uh, we don't know how to engineer a wormhole or whether such a thing exists. So claiming new physics with concepts that were not even demonstrated to exist in reality or claiming space-time distortions or gravitational lensing, these are people that are making those statements. I mean, it reflects on their ignorance. They didn't even take a class probably that educates them about what space-time distortions are all about, what is the amplitude of that. They didn't do a back-of-the-envelope calculation. So making all these claims about new physics require really very strong evidence, better data. And that's you know what we should seek. So when you see a violation of what you think uh, would be the laws of physics, uh, you should seek better data to demonstrate it and not just say it's new physics, you know, that's it, because that's crazy. And if physicists were operating by this 
just to give you an example, there was a claim that about a decade ago that it was an instrument, uh, um, an experiment called OPERA, uh, that um, real, you know, they made some measurements of neutrinos and they said, wow, it looks like neutrinos are moving faster than light. And according to Einstein's theory of special relativity, nothing can move faster than light. So that was a revolutionary idea. Because if, if things can move faster than light, then, you, you know, there are lots of other things are possible. Turns out there was a loose cable in the instrument. So there were hundreds <laughs> of scientific papers written about it, hundreds. Yet, after some months, they realized the cable was not screwed. And their calculation, therefore, of the time that elapsed since uh, the neutrinos were sent to the time they were discovered was incorrectly calculated. And the neutrinos are moving, you know, under the speed of light or close to it, but not faster than light. So here is an example where new physics could have been found. It was claimed to be new physics by reputable physicists that made a very elaborate experiment to do that measurement. And they made it, they made a mistake. There was a loose cable and that created this false alarm. So, you know, measuring distances from one side and having very large uncertainties and then claiming new physics is not even close to the level of rigor that is required in the scientific community to claim new physics. So I say, let's be a little more careful here. You, you can't just make those crazy claims. So that's about new physics. And I would say very likely, you know, if we find evidence for extraterrestrial equipment, it will be using the laws of physics as we know them. It will just be an object that looks unusual. Think about iPhone 100, you know, like instead <laughs> of iPhone 14, you find iPhone 100. It's not new physics. It's just a gadget that behaves in ways that you cannot imagine that would look like magic just because it's very advanced, but it would not violate the speed of light limitation. It will not be in a wormhole. It will not. So it doesn't require new physics. Um, what it, re it requires is for it to be very different than all the familiar objects that we, we know about, like birds, insects, uh, drones, weather balloons, and so forth, and not be produced by humans. That's all. Um, that's all. So once we find something like that, then we can ask what is it, what are its properties, but it doesn't need to, to have any new physics. So if you were to speculate on what these pilots are seeing, these pilots that are saying they're seeing things from their planes that in their minds defy the laws of physics, or maybe they don't totally understand the laws of physics, but would you speculate that what they are seeing is extraterrestrial or would you speculate that it is something human made that they themselves just haven't seen yet? It depends on the quality of the data, but uh, it could be, you know, they could be illusion. Let me give you an example. Suppose there is a swarm of drones, okay, just a, a population of, of drones, okay, and they come in and out of view. And so you see one of them in front of you, and then, uh, you know, a second later, you see one in your back, okay, and you think it's the same object. So you say, well, it moved so fast that, you know, it must either violates the laws of physics or it's something really crazy going on here, but it's not the same object. You just saw one in front of you, which disappeared, and then another one in your back, which has nothing to do with the first one. Okay, that's an example. Or okay. just imagine a situation where, suppose the Navy wants to test a laser system. We know that they use lasers now 
as weapons. Okay, suppose they want to test it like 20 years back and they shine a laser on a spot, you know, just like when you try to trick a cat, you move the spot and the cat is running <laughs> as if it's an object. So you, you shine the laser at one spot and then you move the spot very quickly to another location. Now, if, you know, the military personnel that is watching it is not aware of this equipment being used uh, because the equipment is used just as a test to see if the technology works without letting everyone know about it because it's classified, they would say it's something crazy going on here. How can an object appear here and move there? Just like the cat running after the spot of the laser, yeah. but it's not a physical object. Okay. So there could be a lot of these things where, you know, one part of the military industrial complex is testing advanced equipment that the other part does not know about. There could mm. be, but my, my point is we need to collect uh, high quality data such that we can figure out the nature of whatever we see as anomalous. And only then we will be able to say something about it. Believing uh, people who claim based on eyewitness testimonies, claim things, uh, that's not a reliable method because we know that a lot of people were put in jail as a result of eyewitness testimonies in courts. And then the DNA evidence, um, you know, uh, show that they were innocent. Yeah. Yes. But then also we have the head of the UAP task force coming to your house, asking you to write reports about UAPs. So I'm still thinking it's extraterrestrial. But before we, uh, wrap things up today we um we love to do something called hot takes and we are again so thankful to have you we know you're quite the busy man these days and we appreciate you taking time to be here with us on all things unexplained and um, I don't, i'm not sure if you've done hot takes before but tim has a few just concepts ideas people maybe that he will rattle off and we would love to get your very brief um take on each of them if you're up for it yeah, I'll be delighted. By now, I'm um, made of titanium, so I can survive any any difficult question. <laughs> okay. All right, Tim, run them off. This this first one's easy. We're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Lowe. We're so thankful to have him here, like CJ said. This first one's easy. Re not really a hot take, but recently phosphine was detected in the atmosphere of Venus. I, I read some of your take on that. Do you have any updates on that? Yeah, so there are two questions about it. One, is there phosphine there? And there were uh, additional attempts to detect it with other instruments, and they didn't see it. Second is, suppose it's there, the origin or source, or could it be produced by chemistry? Um, so right now, there are some astronomers planning a mission to Venus to plunge into the clouds and scoop some material and figure out if there is phosphine. Uh, the verdict is still out. The astronomy community is split about it. I mean, the people that discovered it since uh, they still believe in it, but uh, a lot of others are skeptics that it exists based on other data, based on the analysis. The claim is it's not statistically significant. Some people reanalyze the same data. So at the moment, it's up in the air, so to speak. And for our listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, Avi, presence, as far as we know, phosphine can only be there based on what we know through the presence of life. Well, that's uh, if you assume 
just the conditions are similar to Earth. Um, some people claim that if you have a volcanic activity that is 10 times or 100 times bigger than on Earth, you can produce it also through that. We don't know volcanic activity, you know, volcanoes uh, erupting at a very high rate that will produce it over there. So I would say it's most likely that if it's there, that it's biological energy. Now, one thing to understand about Venus is the ground is very hot. So you cannot have life on the ground. It has to be in the clouds. And the idea of the group that they reported it is that perhaps there are droplets of water. And in these droplets, you have life, microbes. Right. Yes. I believe you were involved very early on with the James Webb Space Telescope. What What's your greatest takeaway from the recent James Webb Space Telescope photographs that have just enamored the public? Well, I think they're amazing. Webb Telescope is operating better than we expected. Uh, the mission so far was perfect. Uh, so we have more fuel than anticipated because there was fuel put in order to um, correct any mistakes. Uh, so um, um, there was a celebration on July 11th at the White House by President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris uh, um, uh, of the first deep image of the universe. And it shows us stars and galaxies formed uh, hundreds of millions of years after the Big Bang. And that's amazing. That's, that's a frontier that I worked on. Uh, early on in my career, uh, the first stars, the scientific version of the story of Genesis. And I wrote two books about it. That's why I was uh, in the first advisory committee that uh, designed the web telescope. So I feel that it's a baby that uh, was born this year, but then, um, you know, it was conceived over <laughs> 17 years, you know, like, quite a long, uh, a long time. And uh, I'm very happy at the way it behaves right now, it's, it, it definitely will help us make discoveries. In that case, I feel the labor pains of those scientists that waited 17 years. My goodness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Avi, what's your take on Roswell, New Mexico? Yeah, so I was in Vegas uh, in the company of 800 women. And one of the questions, the questions asked uh, by um, the director of the Johnson Space Center, um, um she asked me you know she said um, uh, that that uh, place is very close uh, to where we are and what do you think about it and the response was that um, um you know i haven't seen any uh, evidence that convinces me scientific evidence of what's happening there it may well be the case that what people claim did happen there uh, i haven't seen the evidence therefore i cannot say anything if i'm presented with solid evidence i will be convinced but then um, you know there are all these stories and it's just like eyewitness testimonies that you don't know whether to believe uh, because it's not documented by instruments that you have direct access to and maybe you know maybe there was something there so uh, i'm agnostic i'm completely in the, it's not as if i deny it it's not as if i believe it i say i don't you know, I don't have strong enough evidence that I saw to indicate one way or the other. Right. You know, when CJ asked you earlier if the Pentagon asked you to join a task force, would you do it? It reminded me of someone I wanted to get your hot take on because because you sort of remind me historically of this figure, Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book. Perhaps they would ask you to be a part of Project Blue Book Part 2. <laughs> 
Well, one has to keep in mind the history does not repeat itself in this way uh, because now we have much better instruments than were available back then. Okay, and the data is of higher quality, especially uh, with government-owned sensors. Um, you know, there weren't uh, satellites of the quality that we have now in terms of their optics and so forth and uh, electronics and so forth. So presumably, if there is high quality data, it would be easier to analyze scientifically, but, you know, it, uh, and to arrive at conclusions. So, you know, don't think about it as history repeating itself because uh, we currently have instrumentation that was never available before. And the way I see it is as an opportunity to figure out the reality that we live in. It's just like the invention of the telescope. Before it was available, we couldn't see things that are faint or far away. And so you can't say that whoever looked through a telescope is like the first person that looked at the sky with bare eyes, because you could see things that are not visible to the bare eye, you know? And so my point is, I don't know what the government, what kind of data the government has, but but um, now we are much better positioned than uh, Heineck was. And, you know, it's not, I don't blame him. It's not, it was not up to him. It was basically the kind of instruments used at the time and kind of data that was collected. And so, um, so and, and by the way, it's not about one person or another. It's about figuring out what's out there. And the fact that Galileo was the first to look through a telescope and conclude that maybe the Earth you know, moves around the sun based on what he saw through the telescope does not make him responsible for the fact that the earth moves around the sun. You know, that that was <laughs> that was true long before him and it, it, it will continue to be true for a long period of time. Uh, and so it's not really about the person who is looking through the telescope. It's more about what the image shows. And that's all I want to know. Once I will know that, you know, I don't care how many people believe it, don't believe it, whether it's liked or not, because I will know that it's reality. You know, the Earth continued to move around the sun, even though Galileo was put in house uh, arrest. You know, that didn't change anything. And what people do to each other is completely... We're dealing with the reality that we all share, and the reality is whatever it is. And whether we, you know, tweet bad things about each other or convince each other, whether we should look at data or not look at data, whether we use good data, whether we ignore the data, all of this is completely irrelevant. It's out there and we just need to figure it out. And the main thing in this context is figuring out whether we are looking at human-made things, natural things, or something else. Or something else. That's great. And we're speaking with astrophysicist Avi Loeb. Avi, I just have one more hot take for you. And it's actually a double hot take on two figures that I personally am fascinated by, the public is fascinated by them, one of which you did not probably have any interaction with, but the other you definitely have had personal interaction with. What's your hot take on Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking? Well, first of all, neither of them were the smartest scientists who ever lived since the Big Bang. <laughs> because there must have been smartest scientists on another planet around another star billions of years ago. I'm quite <laughs> confident about that. So obviously we can be proud of them. It's just like being proud of the best players in your basketball team. Okay. But if you didn't win the championship, these are not the best players. Okay. And, uh, 
um, I don't think that we won the championship based on the way we behave. You know, one reason I seek intelligence in space is because I don't often find it here on Earth. Uh, and I think it may be better represented by another civilization. So, so my guess is that there were scientists far better than both of them. But uh, as far as we know on Earth, they were among the best. Uh, and um, Albert Einstein's biggest contribution was to figure out the nature of space and time. You know, that before him, it was thought that space and time are rigid, that they are universal. That was the view of Isaac Newton. That, but Einstein realized, first of all, gravity is not a force. It's actually just the curvature of space and time. So think of it as a, uh, a flexible entity that just like the surface of a trampoline. So if you put a, um, a billiard ball, well, if you put a heavy object in the middle of the trampoline, uh, it will sink and the surface, the rubber, of the trampoline will curve and then if you take a marble and give it the right kick it will move in a circle around the center just like the earth moves in a circle around the sun and so basically if space is curved you end up with the earth moving around the sun in a circle even though if you were to take out the sun the earth would move in a straight line so the same is true about the marble, if you were to take out the heavy object from the middle of the trampoline, the marble would move in a straight line on a flat uh, rubber surface of the trampoline. So, so Einstein realized that the curvature of space, the curvature of time is gravity, that it's not a force, it's just that curvature. And then, you know, he formulated the equations. It took him years to do that. Um, so that was his main contribution. And then Stephen Hawking used Einstein's theory to study black holes and uh, also the early universe, but mostly black holes. And there was a young student at Princeton named Jacob Beckenstein that in 1970 said, based on one of the theorems that Hawking proved, uh, he proved that uh, if you have black holes coming together, merging, the area of the surface that surrounds them can only increase. That was Hawking's theorem. And Beckenstein said, that reminds me of entropy because uh, in, in thermodynamics, entropy always increases. And so he said, maybe black holes have entropy that is proportional to their surface area. And Hawking said, that's ridiculous. I would show that it's wrong. So he worked on the mathematics and then realized, oh, no, actually, Bekenstein is right. In fact, wow. uh, there is a temperature. Um, if you apply quantum mechanics to the surface of a black hole, then you realize it has a temperature, it radiates, and that's called Hawking radiation. And um, um, he showed that black holes radiate energy and eventually they evaporate in an explosive way. Eventually, it takes a long time for the black holes that we know exist. So that was his main contribution to physics, the realization that black holes actually radiate and uh, eventually evaporate. Hawking evaporation is his biggest contribution. So these are why these are the reasons why these two scientists are very much admired because they basically had deep insights that nobody else uh, realized before. But and I, I have a great appreciation for them. But I still think that there is a scientist that existed a billion years ago that may have realized what the dark matter is made of, what the dark energy is made of, how what was there before the Big Bang, you know, questions to which 
even Einstein and Hawking do not have did not have answers to. Well, we certainly appreciate having you on our show. Between the three of us, you're by far the best scientist. So <laughs> that's no question there. <laughs> but we uh, so enjoyed reading your book, which is called Extraterrestrial. And we hope that we could have you back on when Interstellar comes out. You said that's coming out in 2023. Is that correct? Yeah, in June 2023. And hopefully by that time, I will know if we call, uh, you know, what we found in the, at the bottom of the ocean in, near Papua New Guinea. So yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to report back. Yeah. And, and we trust you to let us know and not keep that a secret, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and for people that want to follow along on that journey and along with the Galileo Project and want to keep up with all of your articles, where's the best place for, for somebody to go and look for you? Yeah, so if they just... Uh, put on Google my name, Avi Loeb, and then uh, Medium, they will get to the commentaries that I post on Medium. And every few days I have a, a new commentary and I will keep everyone updated using the, that uh, outlet. Uh, so if, you're, if you want to hear more about what I'm doing, just go to Medium and you will see it there. Well, we appreciate you coming on today and for being so accessible to us and to everyone. You really have made it easy to uh, be interested in astrophysics. So again, thank you for your time today and for coming on our show. Thank you so much. Uh, I just wanted to say for the young people who are listening that the most important thing is never surrender to uh, pressure from outside. Maintain your childhood curiosity. You know, the most important thing to keep in mind is when you go to the beach, you find those seashells that have their unique colors and unique shapes. Those are were swept ashore very recently. What happens over time is they rub against each other by the ocean waves uh, moving them around and they lose their colors and they break up into indistinguishable uh, grains of sand. And what we should do is in our life, avoid that fate, you know, try to minimize the amount of friction or, or the rubbing against other people on social media in order to maintain your true colors and curiosity. So don't surrender to the outside pressure. Maintain your true colors throughout your life. That's my advice. That's beautifully stated. That's great. Thank you, Avi Loeb. Thank you, CJ. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving, great Christmas, and keep looking up. I can't wait to see what's next. You've been listening to All Things Unexplained. If you liked this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you would like to hear more All Things Unexplained, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our show depends on the support of listeners like you. Find us on Venmo under the business accounts at Bigfoot UFO. If you can't get enough of us, please check us out at allthings-unexplained.com. A special thanks to our producer, director, sound mixer, editor, and the man who wears far too many hats. No, seriously, he wears a lot of hats. Dr. Tim Mounts. Without you, we couldn't keep the lights on. Thanks for listening to All Things Unexplained.